The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Outside market headwinds, rain in the forecast for the hard red winter wheat belt, much more played into the downside pressure in grains on the day, Wednesday. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for making us part of your day today. As I mentioned, a mostly lower day on Wednesday's trade in the grains and oil seeds. Cords, soybeans held up okay. The most pressure was in the wheat markets led by Casey and Chicago wheat to the downside. We saw hogs under pressure as well after cutouts took a hit Tuesday. Cattle futures were mixed to slightly higher. Energies under pressure. Stock market mostly quiet. Fears on Wall Street as we awaited the release of the most recent meeting minutes of the Federal Reserve. And that led to a lot of that outside market pressure in the trade on the day on Wednesday. Plenty to look at. We'll be joined coming up at segment two and three by Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We'll get his latest analysis and get his thoughts on what we saw in the market trade on the day Wednesday. Also coming up later in the show, we'll take a look at some of the news headlines in agriculture. More fallout from the recent decree by Mexico when it comes to GMO corn. We'll hear from U.S. Grains Council President and CEO Ryan Legrand. We'll also hear comments from American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson on the ongoing moves in chicken and egg prices as well, and plenty of other stories to take a look at coming up here later in the show as well. Well, as we get the show going here today, we hear comments from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. I talked to Arlen around midday on Wednesday as we saw pressure in the grain and oilseed markets and the energy trade as well. And the wheat market, again, was a downside leader. As we uh, kicked off our midday commentary with Arlen, I asked him whether the move in KC wheat, Chicago wheat, was it a technical move or was it due to the moisture in the forecast for dry areas? Areas of the Southern Plains as that hard red winter wheat crop comes out of dormancy. Here's what Arlen Suderman had to say. Yeah, moisture will get the blame, but it's more of a technical move. Um, and, and really, if you look at the pattern, we've been concerned about adding some risk premium back in in case the grain initiative that allows Ukraine to export uh, wouldn't be extended beyond the March 19th deadline, and now it's more looking like that's going to happen. Uh, we've each time this has been an issue, we've rallied up until it became apparent that it was going to happen, and then we sold off. 
But it really comes down to a technical failure on the charts for Chicago wheat yesterday after it failed to take out key resistance on the charts on February 14th and worked lower and then just failed yesterday. And Kansas City had tried to rally based on its weather concerns prior to that, but eventually Chicago pulled it under, and then the charts failed for Kansas City as well. And frankly, all the grain and oil seed and energy markets are facing headwinds from the outside markets today, trading recession worries once again. The Federal Reserve releases its minutes of the last meeting this afternoon, and traders are worried about what it's going to show about members of the Federal Open Market Committee's desire to raise interest rates, which could put us into a recession. So we're seeing some stiff headwinds across the commodities today. I am impressed with how quarter beans are kind of holding up compared to wheat. But as you mentioned, those outside uh, market moves kind of having an impact here. And with quarter beans, don't really feel like there's any fresh news to move that market. So uh, just kind of seems like it's following uh, wheat to the downside here today. Yeah, corn's really been range-bound for the March contract between the 670 and 690 area of late, and so it's going back down toward the bottom of that range at today's trade with these headwinds. Soybeans had gone up there pretty close to six-month highs for the uh, nearby contract, and uh, we, with the headwinds that we're facing, simply ran out of buyers. Still keeping an eye on those drought problems in Argentina with production estimates continuing to trend lower, um, but the harvest is going well in Brazil. Center West area seeing about 10 days of relatively good conditions for harvest and for planting the safrina corn crop, so no impending uh, headlines to really support the bulls today against those outside headwinds. Over in the protein sector, Arlen cattle trade showing a little bit of moderate strength. Hogs, though, not surprised there. We're seeing losses. We saw cutouts lower yesterday, and that seems to be the case. If we get lower cutouts, the next day the futures market likes to respond lower as well or higher. It goes higher, et cetera. That, that just kind of feels like the move we're seeing there in hogs today. Got to eat more bacon. Uh, pork bellies really collapsed yesterday on the cash market. And as you said, that uh, pulled the cut out under and significant losses there. And that's translating into lower board prices for lean hogs today. On the cattle side, uh, we did actually see some small cash trade volume yesterday in the north at one to two higher versus the previous week. Um, but it's the choice cutout that's really stealing the show, going another $4 higher yesterday, and now it's $22 off of its lows um, in the two-plus weeks. Cutout strength has come in the last three, if not six weeks, earlier on the calendar than what we'd normally expect to see it. Uh, supplies tighten up. The number of cattle available to slaughter has been dropping as well as their carcass weights. Um, and that's really tightening up the supply. We have a cat monthly cattle on feed report coming out this Friday with it expected to once again confirm that we're tightening up the supply of cattle on feed numbers expected to be down 4% from last year. And again, that is comments and analysis with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, talking to Arlen around midday on Wednesday for our midday market commentary. Always uh, like to bring you that commentary here on the program as well when we can uh, with Arlen Suderman get his insight into the market trade. Going to be watching cash cattle country here this week as Arlen was talking about that cash trade. We saw a little bit of it in the north. We saw some more bids on the table on Wednesday around 259 dressed in Nebraska, 162 live in southern Nebraska. 
Prospect Cattle Exchange auction on Wednesday reported seven lots with four of them in Texas, two in South Dakota, uh, totaling 936 head of cattle. And really just going to be watching to see when this uh, cash trade really picks up for the week here. Probably going to be later on Thursday or into Friday before the cash cattle trade really gets going. This has been an interesting market to watch. That is for sure. Now, again, in the grains, uh, just some of that technical pressure to the downside in wheat, cord, and beans held up okay. Just not a lot of fresh news in that cord bean market as we heard Arlen talk about. Uh, we watched in South America weather, of course, uh, the continued impacts at Argentina, the continued rain delaying harvest a bit in Brazil. Does that delay the planting of the Safrita corn crop? That is something to really keep our eye on here probably the next month or so ahead. Well, coming up here on the program, we're going to continue our market discussion today. As always, uh, we like to chat with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics around midweek, and get his thoughts and analysis, what he is seeing, uh, the big picture globally here in the U.S. and much more. We'll get to our guest, Mike Zuzalo, coming up here after the break as we continue with more market talk on the way right after this. you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, if we take a look at the trade action we saw on Wednesday, mostly lower across the grain and oil seed trade, led down by those wheat markets. We have plenty to take a look at. A lot of outside market nervousness, it felt like, on the day. Joining us here to discuss our good friend Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, good to have you back on the show here today, sir. Hope things are going well in your neck of the woods. Doing great, Jesse. Looks like we're going to miss a lot of the precip, though, so that might be a, an issue maybe mid-time, mid-week, next week, about a week from now, if the hard red wheat belt misses a lot of the precip that the trade's thinking about, uh, probably be something to be looking at. Definitely. Well, and, you know, some of that moisture that is in the forecast for Texas, Oklahoma, felt like maybe that was some of what was blamed for the drop in the wheat market on the day. But I know a lot of those outside market worries. Did, did you feel like the moves in grains Wednesday, just for us to start here, was it more technical in nature, do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think where we were at was we needed to see the momentum indicators remain strong because we had hit some technical resistance levels, as you say. And this comes off the heels of last Friday before the holiday, where not only did we hear that Ukraine was still down about 30 percent on their shipments year to date in grain exports for their 22-23 marking year, but more importantly, the, the Rosario Grain Exchange came out and said essentially this spring into early summer, Argentina's corn exports were likely to be down 40%. That's not a surprise to me, but I think the trade's finally starting to realize that there's going to be a limited amount of corn out there. And so once we had that information out, we came back from the holiday week weekend thinking that maybe we'd be able to build upon that. But I think that's where the outside markets caught us again. We got back into a risk-off deflationary mindset. And once again, we see the same pattern that we've seen, Jesse, crude-led, wheat-led break to the downside. And now we're just pennies away from the hard red wheat January lows, and we're only less than $2 away from the crude oil 
uh, February lows. So this same pattern you and I've talked about still hanging in there, fighting us as we try and find some short covering rallies. Well, you brought up the crude market, and I, I think we're going to start there and dive in a little bit more. I just want to talk a, a little bit more about that and how that ties in with wheat here. And I'll, I'll pull up the wheat chart you sent me here on the video feed. And I know Paris Milling Futures, they've been under some pressure. But as you look at that relationship between crude oil, wheat, leaders to the downside, can you talk about some of that relationship a little bit, Mike? Yeah, I mean, this risk-off atmosphere we have this week is is twofold. Not only did we get the Federal Reserve minutes out right before you and I went on air here on Wednesday afternoon, and that shocked the market and made the dollar want to become a safe haven asset. But we also saw that this this issue between the United States and, and this new trading economic um, geopolitical block between the Russia and the China um, you know, budding up with one another as the United States and NATO try and make headway and, and support the Ukrainians more, it's really starting to impact our commodity markets. And wheat is the canary in the coal mine. Uh, it's the risk-off mindset that leads the market. Because why? Well, for instance, today, this EU milling wheat futures price getting back down to an equivalent of 812 takes you past all of the 2023 lows at this stage. And with EU milling wheat in a closer proximity to the Middle East and, and other key ex importing countries, if Russia doesn't get the business, you would think the EU would get the business and France would get the business, Germany would get the business. But if the EU market's going down, it's going to be extremely hard for us to see anything but a lower market price action. And so geopolitics, fundamentals, Federal Reserve, all adding to the idea with along the lines that the Russian ruble made a new 10 month low as we got ready to put on new sanctions against Russia uh, in both the United States and NATO. All these things work in favor of Russia getting more business. And I, I'll have to say it right here, right now, uh, uh, Jesse, I think Russia and China and this new East mindset that we've talked about periodically, um, they are they are coming closer together. And I do not think they're going to back down. I think China is in it to win it when it comes to supporting Russia because they see a change uh, in the geopolitical um, structure of this market. And they, I think they do see the United States as a as weak as possible at this point um, and, and Russia uh, needing to be as strong as possible at this point. Mike, you mentioned China. I'll pull up another chart on the video feed, and I'd love for you to walk us through this chart and just expand upon some of the thoughts you just shared there with the Russia-China relationship and and just how, how China and their yuan compared to our U.S. dollar, how all of this is working together right now. Yeah, this is a really nice chart because it kind of shows the uh, U.S. dollar against the offshore China yuan and when that price is going up, that means the yuan's losing to the U.S. dollar. And so you see now we're at a new seven week low uh, in the Chinese currency against the U.S. dollar after having come off a major support line, both in terms of a flat support line in red and then the green uptrending support line that's founded upon the 2022 lows. And so we really technically have tested the um, support lines in the dollar and those support lines held. And now we've got this. And this is where your technicals come in, I think, Jesse. Now you've got fundamentals that support this technical bounce in the U.S. dollar against the Chinese currency. So if the Chinese currency is weak, weakening against the U.S. dollar, why wouldn't they buy commodities 
just from a currency standpoint, their buying power is better than the U.S. And when you have the geopolitics, it's easier for them to buy from other countries, i.e. Russia. And that's that's the rub right now is we've got super tight supplies in the world. But the two countries that matter most, China on the buy side and Russia on the sell side, still seem to be in control of this market. Well, super tight supplies and watching Russia and China and how they're controlling things on those sides, as you mentioned, is is one of the big things we're keeping our eye on now. But I think another thing on the horizon here, Mike, we need to talk about and how this could potentially impact the market is acreage, uh, baseline acreage projections. I'll pull this table up on the video feed. Let's talk about this a little bit because I'm starting to hear more and more chatter about what our acreage could look like here You know, this year next year beyond walk us through this what are your thoughts of where things stand right now yeah the thing the reason we wanted to talk about this today is so that the listener and the viewer could understand that those baseline that baseline numbers that we're look the baseline numbers we're looking at right now will change this week and the the new uh, two-day meeting from usda in washington dc starts tomorrow on thursday and so we'll be getting a we'll be drinking more fundamental information through a fire hose at this point. And so it's good to look at these numbers before all the new information comes out. And what I find striking about this chart is when you look at the total planted acres across all the major uh, eight crops, you notice that we hit a high of 253.4 and 21. We went below 250, 250 million acres this past year, but USDA has us up above 250 the next two years and then below 250 for the rest of the baseline projections. And these were the, you can see down at the bottom in, in the note that the USDA last updated these in September of 2022. So I'm very dubious of a corn planted acreage of 92 million acres. If they come out this week with 92, I think that really unravels some of the strength that the corn has had in this market, especially the new crop corn. And so it's something I'm very, very nervous about. I personally think that we're going to be below 91 million acres just because the fertilizer prices, while they've come down, they're still much higher than the five-year average. And we still have a lot of high prices when it comes to crop insurance and, and especially interest rates just keep going up and up and up for the two and five-year money. Something I notice on this chart as well, when you look at soybeans, you know, you look at some of the fluctuations in corn, yet soybeans... 87 million, 87 million, 87 million, like pretty much across the board. I find that very interesting as well, Mike. Yeah, exactly. And this is where they do projections and, and they just do a flow. And I'm not sure how they come up with that. But here again, in 2023, we know the wheat acreage base is going to be up. USDA shows some of that. But we have to remember all the soft red wheat acres that we saw coming in. And I don't think those numbers are balanced into this table or it's as up to date as it should be because that soft red wheat acreage base that's harvested in June, July will go into probably double crop beans. And the, the acreage base that's been planted in soft red wheat came off of bean stubble. And so that takes away from your corn acreage base. So Again, I would say we need to really be critical of these numbers, but it's good to see them a day or two before we get fresh ones. And also, how does CRP play into this whole equation? I think that's another thing to consider here as well, Mike. 
this is everything when it comes to getting above 250 million acres planted, just dovetailing what you and I just talked about and, and, and the cotton issue. A lot of the South didn't get planted because of the terrible drought or because some areas had too much rain last year. It looks like the drought's ending in that area and they, they may be able to get more of their traditional crops uh, planted. But this is where the rubber hits the road. How can we go, stay above 250 million acres the next two years? That red arrows right where 2023 is we're going to be increasing pretty sharply, actually, the CRP projected acres on the program and uh, get above 25 million, get into the 26, 27 million acreage base of CRP again, heading into 2024 and uh, through 2025. So it really makes me wonder how can we see bigger planted acres when the CRP is increasing five to seven million acres uh, since 2021? Well, once again, we're having a conversation today with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. We'll continue that conversation coming up after the break. We're going to get into the cattle market a little bit as well, talk hogs and much more. A few of the final numbers we saw on the day Wednesday as well. Again, corn was mainly four to six lower, beans five to nine lower in the front months with the wheat market under the most pressure. We'll get some of the closing numbers coming up as well here as we continue with more market talk on the way right after this. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit FSPropane.com for more information. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we're having a conversation today with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. He is our guest analyst here on Market Talk. And Mike, just to kind of wrap up our grain and oilseed conversation here real quick. Again, you know, I want to bring this a little bit back to some risk management thoughts here. Obviously, producers see a, a down day, a big red down day like they did on Wednesday, might get a little nervous. Uh, but, you know, just the, the general trend of this market lately is we're waiting on, it feels like a big news item to move us one way or another. So it's it's no reason to panic with a one-day move, right? No, not at all, especially with the new information coming out here. And, and we haven't closed this week out yet. I do put a lot of uh, importance on the weekly close, however, not so much in cattle because we'll get a cattle on feed report after uh, Friday's close. But I think in the grains, the weekly close is pretty important at this point, Jesse, because we did bounce off the upper end, those technicals that you're talking about. We couldn't go through it on the momentum side of the equation. And we also are seeing in terms of beans, the leader to the upside, the market has properly and correctly put a lot more premium into the beans again. We were trading upwards of 1550 in the front end. We tested that $14 level in the November. That Those are numbers that I wanted to test again. And so now those needs have been met. And now we also hear 
that we've got Brazil planting starting to pick up steam. Mato Grosso soybean harvest at 60% now. Second crop corn planting in as a whole at 33%. In Mato Grosso, it jumped 18% to now 50% as of last Friday. Um, so we are making headway and those rains are not impacting us as negatively. So we do wanna be cautious about overstaying our welcome and letting the bean market you know, try and trade higher. I would continue to watch the spreads and the meal and I'm very eager, I told clients and subscribers this again this morning, I'm very eager to get 100% insured bushels sold in 23 soybeans because of what's happening between China and the United States. Let's talk livestock. Let's talk cattle, Mike. Uh, you know, the cattle market on the day Wednesday had a fairly decent okay day to the upside. Um, some things to watch here, though. And, and I'm going to pull up a chart on the video feed. I'd just love for you to walk us through what you're seeing on this uh, continuation chart for April and, and just your general thoughts in this live cattle trade to start. Yeah, this is only April futures, does not show any other contract. And so it's a very clean chart for the spring, those second quarter uh, marketings. And keep in mind, USDA just updated us on the livestock dairy poultry numbers this past week, about six days ago, and said for quarter two, we're looking at $159 average prices. So now April is a good $6 above that. So to me, between that and my overvalue level of $164.75, which I increased about two bucks in the aftermath of the cattle inventory report uh, at the end of January, I really think we're back in that red zone again. And, and notice that the fat cattle are upwards of where we were in 2014 and 2015, while the feeders are still about $30 below those price levels. And I put that at the feet of the corn, but we've got the premium now in this cattle market heading into the cattle on feed report Friday afternoon. Now, as we think about that cattle on feed report coming up, one has to assume we're going to see a continued tightening or at least a status quo of what the herd size is looking like, et cetera, et cetera. You do, do you anticipate any major moves in that cattle on feed report coming up on Friday? I think the trade is, Jesse, I'm a little bit nervous about us building in too much of a bullish premium because all three numbers, marketing's average 103.9, how did we do that well when our slaughter's been down? I know it's been down more in February than maybe in January, but I'm still very nervous about the marketing's number being almost 104% on feed at 96.5% placed in January or on feed as of January 1, 96.5 placed 97.1. All these numbers very low. I think they're below 100%, but I probably wouldn't be much below 100% for the on feed. I still think that we are probably not as current in the cattle uh, in the pens as maybe what the trade is thinking we are. And so I hope I'm wrong because I think we've built in a bullish scenario for the cattle on feed report. And I think we really do have to start thinking about consumption because Home Depot, Walmart, Kraft, all these major food and consumption related companies are giving us a warning sign that later this year, things are going to tighten up. And I think especially in the beef trade, that's going to be the case. Talk of a possible mad cow cases in Brazil on the uh, news wires on Wednesday morning. Are, are you worried about that? Watching that? Have you heard anything else when it comes to that here and how it could impact the cattle market? Yeah, not so much. Two things on that. Um, I, I think that this mad cow situation, if it expands, we want to see, A, does China stop importing beef from Brazil again like they did one or two years ago? 
I'm inclined to think they won't do it this time because I'm inclined to think they'll keep buying from Russia and Brazil so they don't have to buy as much from us in case conditions get worse politically. Uh, the second thing kind of related to that, does that curb then the Brazilian imports or I should say exports coming into the United States that the United States buys or maybe Mexico buys from Brazil? Does that change any of the dynamic of what Brazil ships out and maybe can we pick up some extra uh, export demand, or maybe it cuts back on our imports and gives us a little bit higher prices if it does get worse. So those are two things I'm looking at right now. Okay, good things to think about. Hong market lower on Wednesday, uh, and I wasn't surprised, I guess, because I know Tuesday we saw cutouts drop, and it seems like we have that relationship. If cutouts drop, the next day the futures board drops, or if cutouts go higher, the next day the futures board goes higher. Uh, it, was that is that the best way to sum that up, or what are you seeing in this hog trade? I really think it is. I don't think it gets any more complex than that until we see those fresh commitment of traders numbers, because I think the funds really do trade heavily, not just on the cash, not just on the pork export sales, but also on the commitment of traders report. And until we see fresh commitment of traders report and we see that we're cutting back on our cold storage inventories, I do think we're range bound. I think that $90 level is going to probably be a price cap in the futures because the cash market, while I think it's picking up some extra consumption, as we've talked about, probably difficult to get much above 90. I would not be a seller in hogs, though, Jesse, at this point, because the cutout has been supportive. And we also are going into a more positive seasonal as we get into springtime. So I'd, I'd make this market get it to at least 90 in the April or May futures and maybe even above 90 before I'd be a hedger again. Fantastic stuff as always, Mike. Before we wrap it up today, any final thoughts you have for us? You know, I think we're really truly at a time between the grain deal expiring on March 18th and, and the first uh wheat uh, crop conditions reports coming out for key states like Oklahoma and Kansas uh, next week and, and what's going on with Russia and China and what's going on with this uh, baseline projections report. I don't see how it could be a bad idea at all to sign up for a trial at globalcomresearch.com because you'll get a lot of information compared to what maybe we would get in midsummer. So please do that and uh, see if you like our analysis globalcomresearch.com is how you can find out more information that's com with two m's globalcomresearch.com always a pleasure mike zuzalo global commodity analytics thanks for joining us sir we'll talk to you again soon okay jesse thanks for having me and we appreciate his time and insight as always that is mike zuzalo with global commodity analytics joining us here today on market talk let's take a look at some of the uh, closing numbers from the session on wednesday as well again uh, mostly lower day across uh, grains and oil seeds march corn down six and a half 674 july corn was down five and a quarter at 664 december new crop corn down four and a half 592 march soybeans nine and a quarter lower 1539 and a half july was down nine and a quarter 1527 and a half new crop november soybeans down three and a half on the day 1395 and a half so a little spreading between old and new crop there bean meal for march down five ten a ton 492.60 may down four ten a ton 477.50 in soybean oil a little bit of greed on the screen there march up six points 62.83 may was up 10 at 63.05 in the wheat market chicago march down 14 736 and a half may down 12 and three quarters 750 july chicago wheat down 12 and a quarter 756 and a half KC wheat March down 28 and a quarter, 876. May down 24 at 869 and a half. July KC wheat 20 and a half lower, 861. 
Spring wheat March was down 10 and a quarter, 914 and a quarter. May down nine and three quarters at 909. July spring wheat down 10 at 901 and three quarters. Oats for March unchanged 364 and a quarter over in the cotton market. We saw March up 133 points, 82.25. In livestock, live cattle February up 15, 164.90. April live cattle down to 165.07. June live cattle up 22, 161.10. August up 22, 159.90. Feeder cattle March up 110, 187.97. April up 95, 191.75. May feeders up 75, 195.62. And in the hogs, April down 255, 86.55. May hogs down 142, 95.75. June hogs down 147, 103.80. July down 115 at 106, even on the day Wednesday. Again, that is how the market trade wrapped up on Wednesday's session. Mostly lower in the grains and oil seeds. Energy markets under pressure as well. Hogs lower. Cattle had a little bit of strength on the day. All right, coming up next, we're going to continue here. Take a look at some news headlines before we wrap up the show. We'll be back with more Market Talk right after this. And welcome into the latest episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for joining us today. Well, the latest news headlines in agriculture, USDA's chicken and egg summary for 2022 shows how highly pathogenic avian influenza impacted growers and consumers. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson explains the data. The average layers during 2022 was around 379 million. This was down 3% from a year ago in 2021. The average production per layer was 289 eggs. This is up about 1% from 21. Egg production in 2022 totaled 110 billion eggs, or down right around 2%. Nelson says a recent drop in prices sparked more demand, bringing prices back up in February. Since prices have kind of dropped off a little bit, especially on the wholesale side, I think that retailers have really started to pick up their purchasing. And that in turn has increased our demand and thus raised prices up again. So as a national average, we're looking at our large grade A shell eggs coming in at around $4.82 per dozen. So we're seeing these prices kind of pick back up again for the near term. He adds the next few months will be key to where prices move later this year. We're going into the migratory waterfowl season. And so far in February, things have remained pretty calm. At this time last year was when we really saw the HPAI cases starting to accelerate. So. If things remain slower and we don't see as many outbreaks, we may see some of these prices start to come back down as producers actively pursue replenishing their inventory. And again, that is American Farm Bureau Federation economist Barrett Nelson. Well, the U.S. Grains Council held its annual meeting and international marketing conference last week as Mexico changed its decree regarding the importation of genetically modified corn. Mexico last week updated the decree to ban importation of GMO white corn now and yellow corn at a later date. USGC President and CEO Ryan Legrand says it's a concerning issue for U.S. farmers. It's very concerning. At U.S. Grains Council, we've not been so public about it. We've been trying to work behind the scenes on both sides, but it's about to come to a head. We'll see what our government's ready to do next. They've talked a little bit about maybe consultations or even a dispute settlement process within USMCA. We'll support wherever the government would like to do here. The United States is the top supplier of corn for Mexico, and much of the supply is GMO corn. Legrand says the U.S. Grains Council has staff in Mexico and other countries to help work on issues like these when they arise. 
We do. That's really our, the core of what we do. Having those boots on the ground around the world, whether that's in Mexico, whether that's in India, those are our eyes and ears. They're our connection to that foreign government. They're our connection to that import industry. And so it's invaluable to have these people that we have around the globe. Legrand adds that farmers are supportive of the U.S. Grains Council and its mission. We are really blessed by the support that we get from our farmer members and from the agribusiness members. They see what our team is doing. They hear what they're doing, the knowledge that our team brings to the table. It's very impressive and it's easy to get behind. And the U.S. Grains Council held its annual meeting last week in Savannah, Georgia. Well, also here in news headlines, earlier this month, Central Washington's Dan Newhouse led his House colleagues in the introduction of the Prohibition of Agricultural Land for the People's Republic of China Act. The legislation would prohibit the purchase of public or private agricultural land in the United States by foreign nationals associated with the government of the People's Republic of China. The chair of the Western Caucus added the issue of those close to the Chinese government owning U.S. farmland is one of national security. For any, any adversarial country potentially gain control of any link in our su- uh, supply chain, especially our food supply chain, that could have truly negative consequences. Imagine how quickly we could be literally brought to our knees if our food supply was compromised. Newhouse's legislation was introduced days before a Chinese spy balloon was spotted over Montana and eventually shot down off of the coast of South Carolina. I've been working on this issue for at least two years now. We just introduced new legislation in this Congress to address it. This is going to be one of the major topics that the select committee looks at. The balloon thing just uh, helps people understand how important the work we're going to do is to our country. So timing is everything. Newhouse added he's hopeful lawmakers will take this proposal as an opportunity to consider what steps should be taken to benefit the safety and security of Americans and American farming. Production and consumption of ethanol as a transportation fuel grew significantly over the last three decades in the United States before plateauing in recent years. The ethanol share of finished motor gasoline has moved concurrently with consumption, leveling off near 10% in 2022. Steps taken in the spring of 2020 to combat the spread of COVID-19, such as increased remote work at school and other social distancing efforts, resulted in sharp declines in a variety of ethanol market metrics. For example, from 2017 to 19, U.S. ethanol production averaged 1.33 billion gallons per month, while consumption averaged 1.18 billion gallons per month. During the pandemic lows, these values fell by 46% and nearly 40% respectively, causing the ethanol share of finished motor gasoline to decline to 9%. Now, more recently, estimates for all three figures have largely recovered and leveled off. However, adoption of hybrid and electric vehicles is expected to put downward pressure on gasoline consumption and dampen prospects for renewed growth in fuel ethanol demand. Also here on today's program, we look at ocean shipping rates, and we've seen some drastic changes when it comes to the price of ocean shipping rates here in recent weeks. As we take a look at a new report from the U.S. Wheat Associates, since the highs of 2021, freight prices have dropped to lows not seen since June of 2020, according to recent analysis by U.S. Wheat Associates. Coupled with a recent break in wheat prices, decreased ocean freight costs have helped turn the tides back in the importer's favor. The Baltic Index price chart of dry bulk freight rates shows the 
impact on rates from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. On February 6th, the Baltic Dry Index hit 621, a level not seen since June of 2020. The index has fallen 88% from its peak in October of 2021. In recent years, dry bulk freight and Chinese economic growth have become interconnected. Vessel supply and demand, port congestion, oil prices, and the ongoing supply chain disruptions will continue to impact the market as economies normalize post-COVID. However, China remains in the driver's seat of global freight, according to U.S. Wheat Associates. The resilience of the Chinese economy will be put to the test as economic activity increases post-COVID. And lastly, here on American Ag Today, the organic market has seen continued growth in retail sales in the past decade. However, the pace of growth has slowed, according to USDA's Economic Research Service. U.S. organic retail sales increased by an average of 8% per year and surpassed $53 billion in 2020. In 2021, sales were $52 billion, which was a 6% annual decline when adjusted for inflation, but a slight increase when not inflation adjusted. Additionally, the number of certified organic acres operated increased gradually from 3.6 million in 2011 to 4.9 million acres in 2021. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of American Ag Today, produced by the American Ag Network. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.